Uh, we are in Advent, and uh, I, I like to think through things differently. Most of you who have been with me for several years now know that I don't like cookie-cutter, holiday-flavored sermons. But it's unique for the season that we're in, being that it is Christmas, and the, the society is a little bit more sensitive to the Christmas story and the Christmas message. And so I want us to not focus on necessarily the, the big picture. I want us to, to kind of hyper-focus on those, those little moments, those glimpses, because how many of us have heard the Christmas story? We've all raised our hands in that, right? Um, I want us to focus in on those little parts, those little glimpses of, of things that God did, that, of God moving through people that we might not necessarily have noticed or have ever paid that much attention to. So this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, the, the, the gifts of Christmas, the gifts uh, that has bestowed from God, handed down to us as we are examining this Christmas season. And the first gift I want us to look at is the gift of courage. Um, how many of you guys have ever seen that movie, World Trade Center? I highly encourage you to take a look at it. It's got Nicolas Cage in it, and I know some people are a little, eh, he's either hit or miss, mostly miss. Um, but it's, it's a good example of courage. It wasn't until I saw that movie that I understood what was taking place because I was disconnected from what was taking I was watching it on the TV of that 9-11, but I was so disconnected from actually experiencing what it is that they were experiencing. I was emotionally connected because America, right? But I was physically disconnected because I, I wasn't there. I didn't know. And if you, if you know the movie, it's about a team uh, of men who are searching uh, and women who are searching for survivals, survivors in the rubble of the Twin Towers, and they search through the rubble, risking their own lives. There are story after story after story that has come out in these last 20 years of men and women risking own personal safety for the safety and security of others. These are men of courage. Because at any moment, that tangled mess of steel and concrete could have and eventually did collapse on top of many of them. As I'm watching this movie, it's, it's amazing the, the, just the risk that these men take without a second thought. They just run without really thinking. And I know I've been in situations that's been kind of sketch, been kind of scary. And I know that as I'm moving, I'm thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing but my legs won't stop doing that thing. Now, times that by a million. That's what we experience or we see in this movie. It focuses in on this one team of rescuers as they risk life and limb to save two firemen who are trapped in the collapse of the towers. The movie depicts the danger of the situation. It shows the risks of everyone involved, but the movie also shows the courage that everyone displayed under life-threatening conditions. What does it mean when I say courage? What do you think of when I say courage? We read in the book of Joshua uh, several times where God is telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. What does it mean to be courageous? We look at that word, and today, what does it look like to be courageous? Some people think it's, uh, it's something that it's not. It's, it's posting something on Facebook that shouldn't probably be posted. Um, I like to say, um, what, is, what is the difference between meekness and weakness? Meekness isn't just being weak. Meek is being able to obliterate something, but choosing not to. 
You're not meek by being weak. You can't be courageous if you never put yourself or are capable of being put into a dangerous situation. God has given men this innate calling to be men of courage because we are supposed to be in dangerous situations, protecting the weak, fighting for righteousness. If you find yourself moving towards safety and security, you're never going to be called a man of courage. Just because... I won't say that. I'll be, I'll be nice. See, there's a story of courage that, that takes place at this first Christmas, and we often miss it. We often overlook it because we focus on this young mother and a baby, but the character I want to focus on this morning was a, a very pivotal part of the story, too. He heard firsthand that his bride-to-be was now pregnant, and it was not his child in the sense of how we know that things work, right? This was not the fruits of his labors, He experienced a personal message from God because of the extraordinary event that was taking place. And he stood by in the manger where the baby was laid. He provided protection for this young mother and her child during the early years of this child's life. And if you haven't already figured it out by now, this man we're looking at this morning is Joseph. What can we learn from him? Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I'm going to pause there. We have to understand, yes, they weren't yet married. But in this culture and in this time period, when you were betrothed, it was as if you were married. It was legally binding for a year uh, there's give or take a few months in that, uh, but up to a year where you lived together, you didn't experience marriage yet, but everything as if it was married. You didn't get the fun parts. And so being a just man, not wanting to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Can we pray? Father God, thank you for this word. God, sometimes it feels as if I am unworthy to to carry this message to your people, but yet you've called me here, so speak through me. Use me in this place. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. There's a couple of extraordinary points that I want to point out in this section of, of Scripture. How many of you heard this before? We have heard this and heard this and we've read it and they've made movies on this. There's everything out under the sun about this chunk of Scripture. Even I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't go to church on the regular who would recognize this story. All right, But I want us to focus in and find these. There's several points in here. Point number one, God gives courage to ordinary people. 
it's interesting to note that Joseph wasn't an extraordinary man. He was just an everyday run-of-the-mill carpenter, much like I am. Now, he could probably build a table and chairs better than I can because they were way more accurate in how they handled the, opera, the, 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 the things, and he would probably lose his brain if he saw the tools we got to use today, right? But when we read this, in the midst of the story of this miraculous birth, this fulfilling prophecy, prophetic fulfillment, prophecy, all that stuff, this miracle that has taken place in this birth, we find an ordinary man by the name of Joseph. Many of us don't view biblical characters as ordinary. We can't. There's something in our brains over years of tradition and indoctrination that for us, it is hard for us to separate the supernatural from these people. But Joseph was just like you and me, an everyday average ordinary person, run-of-the-mill guy. Many times we attribute them to these superhuman powers, but folks, this is not the case. They were people just like us. They had problems, fears, doubts, worries, just like you and me, and yet God is able to use them. In fact, that is the primary message of the Bible, is that though men are weak, broken Horrible creatures, God redeems his creation through using them, working through them, and ultimately working through himself because he realized uh, people couldn't do it. The story, the theme of the Bible is God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I mean, that's a secondary theme. That's not the main theme, right? Let's not get off track. I want us to look at how Paul states this fact in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, 1, verse 26. Says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Paul is confusing sometimes. He goes on these rants. Um, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I don't know why God set me apart from my biological family. I've got no idea other than his providence. By, By human standards, nothing about my life makes any sense. But when I look at God's provisions over my life, it begins to make sense because people want to know how did somebody who was born into all these problems, who was ripped from his family, uh, who was on the path to being a drug dealer, if not a, a serial rapist or murderer, how did that trajectory change? And how did he become a father of five, a good son, a good husband, by the sense of we understand good, because I'm not good, but by the grace of God? How did that take place? God's providence. When God moves through people, he takes away what the world says you should be, and he calls you something else. He calls you his, his instrument, his purpose. See, Joseph was an ordinary man, but he was a man of God. He was a man that God could trust to be strong in the midst of crisis. He was strong and resilient enough to protect his family. Matthew says it this way. He says he was a just man. I pray one day that I have a legacy where men 
will see my life and call me a just man. I know I'm not. I have faults and I have failures just the same as everyone else. But when we look at this man, as Matthew is recounting the story of Joseph, he was a just man. In other words, he was a man of honor. Did he have concerns? Yes. We, we, we read he was unwilling to put her to shame because of all these things. And as he's considering divorcing his wife, his betrothed, the angel of the Lord stepped in and said, wait, 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 wait. Not, how dare you think such terrible things. No, he was, he was justi- justified in his thinking and in his actions. He was a just man. Joseph was an ordinary man, yet he was a just man. What that means is that Joseph displayed moral courage. Again, what is courage? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What, is, what, what does a life look like that shines out courage? Joseph displayed moral courage. He displayed the character of, of God in his own life, and that is terribly hard to do, especially today. As you are going through your life, as you are uh, seeing all this stuff on the internet, as you are hearing all this stuff in the the group chats at work, and when you're doing all this stuff and and you hear something, you're like, "Eh, that's just not right. One of the things that I hate more than anything right now in this day and age is the church has let the world say, that's not loving your neighbor. How dare we let them tell us what our Bible says? How dare we let them tell us what our God has called us into and has spoken to us? He wrote us a book. He didn't write this book for them. You have to understand, the Bible wasn't written for the unsaved. The Bible was written for the saved to take the message of the cross to the unsaved, to bring them into the proper understanding, to be saved. Therefore, the Bible now makes sense to them. This is our book. This is our letter from God. So how dare we let them tell us what it says? What does moral courage look like? Moral courage looks sometimes like maybe you have to tell someone that isn't what the Bible says. Jesus is he wouldn't have stood for, Jesus wouldn't have marched in a BLM rally. Jesus wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have cared because to him all this left and right stuff doesn't matter. Because God, Jesus wasn't about this. Jesus was about this. About doing his Father's will. Because guess what? A hundred years from now, all the stuff we think is so important now won't matter. Want to know how I know? Because they were fighting the same stuff or different things a hundred years ago, and we don't care about it. What does moral courage look like? Moral courage is, is the ability to get up and say what God has called us into, to say God's truth, which is the truth. There's no such thing as my truth. It is the truth when other people want to tell you to shut up. It is the integrity to do the right thing at all times and not to cower in fear because somebody might be offended. Joseph Dips- displayed moral courage. In this movie, The Cinderella Man, have you guys seen that movie? I'm, I'm, gosh, you guys need to be a little bit more versed, and I'll, 
it's got Russell Crowe. It's a fantastic movie. It's based off of a true story. But in this movie, we, we, we meet a man that is just like Joseph in this. It is a story that takes place during the Great Depression. The father, he's a boxer who has lost everything. And the family is starving to death. And so his son goes out and he steals a loaf of bread to help his starving family. The father, Russell Crowe, rebukes his son and makes him apologize to the storekeeper. Now, bear in mind, many of us would be like, well, he was starving. What's one loaf of bread? Right? The father goes and tells his son that he has to apologize to the storekeeper. This God-fearing father may not have been able to fill their, their bellies with food, but he was able to nourish their spirits. He had moral courage. Joseph was a man like that. He was just an ordinary man, yet a man of moral courage. The second point I want us to look at is that God gives us the courage to overcome our doubts and our fears. How many of us have ever had doubts? How many of us have ever had fears that, and th- that are justified? I'm not just talking about irrational, like you're afraid of snakes or spiders. Or, I'm talking about like real fears. Like I fear for my children's future. I fear for things in my life. All right, we've had doubts and fears. We know God gives us the courage to overcome those things. Excuse me, got a little bubble in there. We can only imagine how Joseph must have felt when he finds out that Mary, his soon-to-be wife, his betrothed, was pregnant. I can only imagine his natural response to that. It doesn't explicitly tell us, but it tells us he was thinking to separate. Right? So therefore, there had to have been a thought process. Well, she has been unfaithful. She's, she's done this. He, that's not my child. She must have been unfaithful. What emotions do you think he would have had? Because when he first finds out, guess, guess what? The angel hasn't given him the message yet. He doesn't have that peace from the word of God yet. He doesn't know what's going on. Shock disappointment, embarrassment, sorrow, anger, probably a mixture of all of it, yet Joseph's character enabled him to keep his emotions in check. His love for God and for Mary compelled him to seek for a way to protect her. You know the scripture said in 1 Peter 4, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. One of the hardest things to do is to forgive somebody that you love when they have sinned against you. We hold grudges for so long on family members and loved ones, even more so that we treat people who are outside of our circle better than those who are inside of our circle because they might have wronged us. Because we do not know how to properly love. It is God who loves through us. We love not, but because he loved us first, right? We love because he loved first. If you want to love other people, you have to let God's love come and wash over you so that you can truly love other people. Because the, the type of love that we're talking about here in First Peter isn't something like, oh, you make me feel good. It's not a contractual thing. Like, I will keep loving you as long as you fulfill your bargain. As long as you keep making me feel good about myself as long as you keep playing the role that, you, that I have put upon you. I mean, it's easy to love friends when they are in, in a circle, when they're fulfilling a certain commitment that we have put on them, right? It's easy. But it's really hard to love your spouse 
and those times where they're not holding up to what we think that they should be doing, right? Or your children or your, your, your parents or your, your siblings, when we feel as if they're not holding up to their end of the bargain, it's just as quick for us to write them off. Love covers a multitude of sins. And to take it further, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to make you all feel guilty, okay? But we wanna, I'm going to hammer this home. Galatians 5, verse 22, we know this, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The easiest way to tell somebody has been born again do they fit this mold? Not just one of them. Not, not just one of them. Not just, can you go back a couple slides into that? Uh, not just, are you, are you joy? Did, did they just, are they just happy to be around? No. All of these things. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. This is what the fruit of the Spirit working on your life looks like. As a Christ follower, it says uh, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Therefore, uh, all of its passions and its desires are now gone. It's crucified, it's dead, buried. And in its place is now the Spirit. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to have courage? Joseph faced down his own emotions and courageously chose to protect Mary. Can you imagine the rumors that had to have spread throughout the community, this, these weren't like big metropolis areas. They were villages of a few uh, hundred people. And you know how quickly the rumors spread. People almost are so excited that there's a new rumor to talk about. That part of the human thinking has existed since creation. I'm, uh, well, since the fall, okay? It, it, was, it was perfect, and then we mucked it up the neighbors would have thought that they had broken the law. Obviously, the neighbors thought that they were having a sexual relationship when they shouldn't have been. It's always the right time to do the right thing, no matter what the world says. No matter what they tell us. No matter what they say. No matter who they say we are. No matter what the world says, it is always the right time to do the right thing. And I want to kind of add a little bit. It's always the right time to do the righteous thing. The God thing. The thing that he has called us to do. And God gives us the courage to face down our fears and the doubts and also other people's fears and doubts over our lives. The third point I want to leave you with this morning is God gives us courage to face the future. In the case of Joseph, he was given a vision, a dream, to help reinforce his faith. Right? He's thinking all these things. He's like, okay. And then God's like, wait, 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 Joseph, that's not the plan. Vision. Right? Let, me, let me remind you. Let me tell you what the plan is. Let me tell you what your future holds. He knew what the neighbor's opinion of him him would be. He knew the rumors would be flying, and he also knew that God had spoken to him in a special way. The Scripture says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Does God always give vision to people? Not directly, as we would like him to sometimes. 
Like I would like, uh, if, I'm, if I'm struggling with a decision, I would like him to just paint it clearly in the sky. Like, God, can't you, you, you control the clouds. Can't you just like spell it out for me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? But God does give us a vision within the scriptures. God does tell us what he wants us to do, what he wants us to be, how he wants us to interact with those around us in the scriptures. He does in our lives as we see him moving. Now, nine times out of 10, that's in hindsight. Uh, It's hard for me to see God moving in my struggle, immediate struggles. But when I look back on my previous struggles, I can see God doing his thing constantly. And sometimes God will give you a feeling. He will give you this sensation that you don't know where it came from. You don't have any idea that you know it's not you, but guess what? That's the Spirit moving through you. Sometimes He'll lead you to a verse in the Bible and show you how that verse applies to your situation. He does not do that every time, but sometimes He does. Sometimes He does. Sometimes He pushes us. Sometimes He doesn't but we can always go back to the scriptures. But you want to know something that we know that he does every single time? If you are a Christian, if you accept that Christ is your Savior, if you have the Spirit working inside you, he will never, he can never, ever leave you or forsake you. That's a promise ripped right out of the scriptures. He will always be there, and that's the promise. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, as it ends. Keep your life from love of money. Be content with what you have. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What do people struggle with the most with, with thinking about the future? Money, right? It's, it's, will I be able to provide for my family? Will I be able to do this? Will I be able to do that? It's always boils down. It says, keep your life free from the, that, that thought, that process, and, and just know that I have said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This fact gives me courage to face the unknown. How many of us have retirement plans? How many of us get really mad when the trajectory of inflation goes crazy, or this and that, whatever goes crazy, or if the outlook of the the jobs market doesn't look good, or this, that, whatever, you name it. How many of us want security for tomorrow? Guess what? We have it. And it's not in the government, it's not in the economy, it's not in the stock market, it's in the person of Christ Jesus. It's in the salvation of Christ Jesus. It's in the hope of reconciliation through Christ Jesus. In the promise that he will never and can never leave or forsake us. Once you've accepted him, once you've been brought into the fold, guess what? You're his, ransomed by his blood, Belonging to him, no longer a slave to sin, but purchased by Christ. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Y'all are a little dead this morning. I'm going to say that again. If God is for us, who can be against us? Like, seriously, this is the most beautiful thing in all of Scripture because it boils everything. I love Paul. I love Romans. If you want to know how to operate, how to think biblically, how to understand God and as it relates to creation, specifically us, read Romans because Paul lays it out. He's, this is like, 
Boop, clear as day. This is what it means. This is how you are to be. This is how you are to, to think and live and interact with the church and, and all this stuff. And, and he gets to this point, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You have to understand, this was written during a time where Christians were being hunted, being routed out. Paul used to kill Christians, right? God redeemed and restored him out of that and said, hey, I need you for this purpose. I almost wonder, who makes the best uh, spy, right? The, the one who knows the enemy's plans. And it's usually somebody who's a turncoat, who came directly out of that because they've been taught, they've been thought. And I almost, I almost wonder if, if God Paul brought Saul into his, himself because he knew that he would be able to handle, knew the game plan, knew the playbook of the enemy. I know that, that, that that's speculation, that's not explicitly put out, but that, that's so cool. And so he's saying to these people, right, knowing full well what faces them on the other side, if God is for us, it don't matter, because there's nothing that can be against us. If that doesn't give you courage, I don't know how else to help you. I don't know what will. When we face doubts, when we face fears, when we face that uncertain future, when we are tempted to avoid the wilderness, when we are tempted to go into safety and security, right? Because the wilderness is dangerous. The wilderness is where you need courage. The wilderness is where God has called us into on his behalf to grow us, to shape us, to get us ready for the promised land. Right? That's where God has called us. If you ain't willing to go, sorry, this ain't for you. When you are tempted to avoid that wilderness, when when we like our comfort zones, right? If we approach an area of the unknown, we try to find another way around it to make a U-turn to avoid it. We are afraid of the wilderness. There might be giants there. There might be bullies there. There might be rumors and teasing. There might be hardships and struggles. There might be jobless, uh, joblessness. There might be all these things, but it is by, by, it is only by that journey through the wilderness that we will reach that promised land. And if we make the journey, God will be with us because God gives courage to ordinary people like you and me. God gives courage to face our doubts and fears, and God gives courage to face the future, trusting God. He has told us he will be with us, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Believe in him no matter what you are going through. He will be there with you. I want us to rethink how we think Christmas this year. It is a happy time. It is a joyous time. But if what brings you happiness and joy is because you have money to spend on your grandkids, if you have a house that's warm, if you have all these safety nets around you, and that's why you're happy, I want you to reevaluate your life. Our happiness, our joy, should come from the Lord Christ. And in that, 
we can experience what Christmas really is for us, the church. A season of remembering. I once was in so desperate need of a Savior and did not even know it. Yet God and his grace and his mercy delivered me out of my sin and out of my darkness and out of my blindness. He plucked me, not of my own accord, but because he had called me into himself. Christmas is a remembrance for the church, not of a baby born, but of a Savior delivering on a promise. We don't deserve it. We never did, and we never can. But thanks be the one to, to him who delivers us. That Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died. It's not just about a birth. It's all about a death and resurrection and a new birth. Read the book of Colossians. I love it. A letter to the church of Colossae. I don't even know how to say that word. The Colossian church. Colossia. That sounds weird. In that, Paul speaks of Christ being the firstborn. Not in the sense of creation, but the firstborn. Christ had to die and come back to be the firstborn of the second birth to lead us into his home to restore and to reconcile all things to himself it starts with a birth ends with a death so the world thinks but we know the rest of the story it ends with eternity in heaven through a resurrected Christ 